Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. You know, in the end, my real problem and the evil in my life was was not the sin itself as much as it was the lying and the covering up of the sin. Hey, welcome to Fire of Night. We've got a tremendous program. The first thing that he said would happen, there would be a great deception in the earth. I remember being in like Miami, Florida one time preaching and the hotel that they put me in was literally down the street from a, a strip club. You know, I knew where my mind was going. Lust is just taking me to a crazy, dangerous level. And I would just look at myself in the eyes and just say, I hate you. No one was in the house, I'd scream it. It was like God saying, everything is dead. Who you thought you were and who you thought you could deceive and all the lies and all the ego and all the pride is gonna die. And I'm gonna help to make sure it dies in you. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to our final lesson in this series, There Is Still Hope. And before we go any further, I wanna welcome everybody online, watching on Facebook Live, YouTube, my favorite place to watch, Believer's Channel, YouTube. Uh, those of you that will watch in the future on demand, I'm gonna welcome all the men at TCI Correctional Facility. Guys, we love you. We're excited to have a campus there. And I wanna welcome our Boardman campus. You just came online. If you're visiting Boardman, you just experienced an incredible worship service. And my name's Joe Caminetti Sr. I'm the lead pastor here. And every week I have the privilege of teaching the Warren, the online, and the Boardman campus simultaneously. So we're so excited you're with us. Uh, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, Blaine Bartell, and what an incredible story. And before we go any further, can we just welcome him? Let's let him know we're excited to have him. It's good to be back with the Caminetti clan. So I was telling some friends this week, I, they said, where are you going this week? And I'm, I said, I'm going to be with uh, Pastor Joe Caminetti and the Caminetti clan. And they're like, oh, we know those people. <laughs> Everyone knows you guys, like all over the country. They've heard of the Caminettis. So you're doing a great work, man. Thanks, Blaine. And Blaine's, if you're newer, he, we had him here in the 80s. Yes. Um, we'll talk about that. And then uh, I've had you back over the last couple years to share. And I thought we'd sit down and just interview. So um, they might not know this dirty secret that you're not American. So can you uh, tell, yeah. us a little bit, tell us a little bit about your childhood, Blaine? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm an immigrant uh, to, uh, to America <laughs> I, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and about Western Canada, 90 miles from the Rocky Mountains, and uh, grew up kind of a middle-class home. Mom and dad, you know, good parents, still married today, been married 60 years, uh, brother and sister. But I, uh, you know, I skied a lot, being close to the mountains. I actually became a freestyle skier. I competed uh, in skiing, and uh, my goal uh, in life, when I remember when I was uh, in elementary school, was to be a, rock, uh, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I wanted to wear the red jacket and the big hat. And uh, sadly, that never happened. So, <laughs> But it was a good life. And then, uh, like, at eight, well, about 19 or so, I found myself uh, moving to the big country, to the United States. What a difference. Yeah. yeah, changed changed my life. 
So growing up, it's hard for us to believe you weren't the most popular kid in school and you had a lot of wounds, like all of us had, had some of that going on. And so uh, can you tell us what it was like growing up and just let yeah. us know a little bit about that? You know, I, like I said, I had a great, great family growing up, uh, but there were things that happened outside of my home that, that uh, definitely affected uh, the way I looked at myself, my psyche, you know, what I thought about myself. Uh, I, there was some sexual abuse outside of my family uh, that happened. And uh, when I was like 13, 14, Pastor Joe, and that, that really messed with me. And then even in school, I was short and I had like white hair. It was super blonde. And so all, all my peers called me albino. And it was like in jest. I didn't even know what an albino was, but I had to look it up. But uh, I remember just feeling like a bit of a reject and uh, feeling like I'm, I wasn't good enough. And you know, when you, when you encounter feelings like that, uh, you don't really know what to do with them. You know, I, I heard somebody say that there's two kinds of pain. There's... Uh, there's clean pain emotionally where you feel some emotional pain and it's real, but then there's what they call dirty pain. And that's pain that is real, but you begin to believe the lies about that pain. So the lies that I began to believe about myself was I'm not good enough. I am a bit of a reject. Uh, and so when you encounter that dirty pain, you want it to go away. And there's only two ways for that pain to kind of go away, you either numb it uh, and medicate it with uh, something that'll take it away temporarily. It might be a drug or alcohol, or in my case, sexual addiction of some kind, or you get it healed and uh, it needed to be healed. And it really never was fully healed until uh, 50 years of age. That's amazing. Um, you have a documentary. We're going to show a couple clips, but guys, we're putting uh, that address. You, you can watch it for free. It's really powerful. Uh, in that documentary, you talk about the first time as, as a kid that you preached. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? It's fascinating. Yeah, well, near the end of my high school experience, uh, I, 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 I got saved, and, uh, and I began to encounter Jesus in my life. But I was still messed up. I was still, you know, needing a lot of help in my life. In fact, I quit school uh, halfway through 12th grade. And my parents said, you, you need to go get your life together. So they sent me to this uh, discipleship training school, which was, was like a military school for, for, for new Christians. And it was in L.A. And so I go to this school, and I'm all in. I mean, I am praying, reading my Bible, going to these classes. Jesus is at work in my life. And we're preparing to go on mission trips. We're going to go to Mexico, Japan, Russia. So there's all this training happening. And so part of the training was we would go do outreaches. And we did this one outreach in a school, public school. And uh, we would do drama and singing. And then someone would preach at the end at these school rallies. And the leader of the school said, Blaine, we want you to preach a 10-minute gospel message. I'd never done that in my life. Didn't grow up in a preacher's home. I was a first-generation Christian in my family. 
So I, I'm like, well, how do I do that? And he gave me a few little tips, and, and then it happened. They gave me the microphone, and there's like 300 students out there, and I start preaching the gospel. And I don't know what happened, Pastor Joe, but I felt uh, something come over me, and it was so powerful, and it just flowed out of me. And I gave this message, and 80% of the, the, the crowd that day came forward to receive Jesus. And there was this jubilance and joy and excitement. I remember my peers and even the leader of the school coming uh, over to me after and said, Blaine, this is what you're called to do. This, and I, I never looked back. I knew that somehow God had called me to preach the gospel at that point. So after this event, it blew up, like in a good way. Blaine had the, the largest youth ministry in America back at, at that time. And then you produced this television show, which all, all, you know, this is before YouTube and the internet, that our, our student ministry watched, and they watched it all over the country. I used to watch it with my boys. It, it was really cool. So tell us how, what it was like when everything blew up. And Well, I, that's when I moved to the States. I felt uh, God speak to me in a, in a vision when I was fasting one time that we were supposed to move to the United States and start this television ministry and reach young people all over the country. So we moved, and God united us with a beautiful uh, mentor of mine, Pastor Willie George, and within two years, by, the, uh, by age 26, we launched this TV show. And uh, it literally went around the country, as you said. I mean, it, it, we, we sent out 300 videos to churches uh, the first month, and by... They're going to show to their student ministry. Yeah, that they show to the kids, and and so by year two, we were sending out 5,000 videos, and it was just going... And then it went on to television, all the Christian networks, and the Armed Forces Network, and so within two years, I'm living this crazy, what I would call Christian celebrity life, which those two words should never be together, right? But but I was, and uh, you know, I couldn't, I'd be in Tulsa and I couldn't go to a mall without people stopping me, and so I'm now 28 and living in this crazy world, writing books, and it, it's almost like it came too quickly, Pastor yeah. Joe. Like, I didn't know what to do with it all. I'm being asked to speak, uh, literally every state, every major city, going to other countries. And uh, it soon caught up with me because I was just so young and so green, almost a novice in ministry, and I've got all this opportunity. And, uh, you know, I think the, the most destructive thing in a, in a man's life is pride uh, because you get blinded and uh, you're blinded to what's going on in your soul and in your life, and uh, you think it's kind of all about you. And that's where, that's where I found myself after a couple yeah. of years. So being super talented can, I, I never had to worry about that. Uh, <laughs> I had to work hard, it's taken a long time. But you know, I was there, I was watching it all happen in your life, and, and um, a lot of influence, a lot of wealth. Um, tell us what kind of toll that took on you. Yeah. You know, my, my dad and I had a falling out when I went into ministry. And uh, I remember we were talking about it one night in our hot tub in our basement. My dad was an entrepreneur. He owned restaurants. And, uh, and I'd worked in his restaurant since I was 12. And uh, he wanted me to take those over. And uh, 
when God called me to the ministry in this school, I came back and told him that, and man, we had a blow up because he had other plans for me. And so when I moved away, it was like, well, good luck, you know, we'll see in a year or two. So I was on this achievement uh, path. I wanted to prove to him, to myself, to everybody that uh, this was a good decision. And, and so all of this accumulation came in, uh, you know, in the path of uh, this television and, and student ministry. And, and, and I, I, I took everything that came my way, Pastor Joe, uh, media appearances, uh, speaking engagements. You know, I was speaking in festivals with 50,000 kids, and they were giving me offerings that, you know, were three times as much as I made in a month, you know, in, in my regular job. It was just ridiculous. And so I just kept like, oh, I want more of this. I want more of this. Like my, my ego, my pride, and my flesh, even though it was a spiritual uh, uh, adventure and endeavor, I mean, it was, it was really stroking uh, my ego. And finally, after, I would say, two years, I was exhausted because I was gone every weekend. I'd leave Friday, come home Monday, work on the TV show Monday through Friday, leave again, and never took a day off. Yeah. and was gone every weekend but Christmas and Thanksgiving. And so two years in, I am exhausted. I've had no Sabbath in my life. I'm not caring for my soul. My marriage is already beginning to deteriorate. I hardly see my three kids because I'm gone so much. I have really no local church because I'm never home on a Sunday, and I hit a breaking point. Yeah, so... Everybody listening, um, you don't have to have that kind of fame to be disconnected from God, and, and you were disconnected. Um, and so, uh, obviously, it really took a toll. You were at a weak moment. And there's this time in his life, it's in the documentary, we're going to watch a clip. We call it the red button moment. So let's take a look at this, and then I want to hear from Blaine. My marriage began to just dissipate. And there was a little bit of resentment on her part, like you're gone all the time, I'm here with our you know, little baby kids who are like two, three, four, and I'm like, well, I'm you know, making money and preaching the gospel, and you enjoy all these things that this home and these cars that I'm able, you know, so there, there was a little bit of that going on. And then there was just like the sheer exhaustion. And I should have just, came off the road and I should have just cut everything back, but I just kept going. And I remember uh, one night in a hotel room on the East Coast somewhere, and I'm sitting on the end of my bed after preaching all weekend. It's like Sunday night, I think, and I had to preach again the next morning. And I'm looking at the television and I see this white box on top of the television. I know what it is. It's the adult movie box. This is pre-internet. I'd seen boxes like that in a hundred rooms. But uh, that night, I mean, it was like every defense in me was gone. And there was this like, why not? You know, almost like entitlement, like I deserve a break. I just working my tail off. And so I eventually just got up hit the red button, and I've never seen porn. 
And of course, porn is just such a fake world. And yet <clears throat> in the moment you're believing it's all real. And these women that are kind of looking through the camera with their seduction, you feel like they're actually looking at you. And there's this crazy connection. And I just took it all in. And when it was done, which was seven minutes later, I made the worst mistake that I've ever made that night in my life to this point. The worst mistake, and it wasn't hitting the red button. I went down to the front desk, catch the attention of the clerk, and I said, I want to pay for the movie I just rented. I'm just going to hide it, and I'm going to get over it. I went back up to the hotel room, and man, in the midst of that shame, I started like praying and crying out to God and literally crying tears, cried myself to sleep, woke up the next morning, read the Bible, and I remember saying, God, I'll never do it again, and I didn't do it again for six months. And six months later, I'm in the same place, same brokenness, same exhaustion, and I gave in again. And the next time it was three months, the next time it was a month, and slowly that whole world began to creep into my soul. So obviously the red button for someone addicted to alcohol could be, you know, every, it's, there's just that moment where you cross over. You're so sincere, you repent. Um, you, you try to hide it from the church that's paying for the hotel that you're staying at, which I agree was a, probably the worst thing you could have done. And, and then um, you're going through ministry now for decades. You're going to tell us about that where you're hiding a secret sin and you're also ministering. And then you, you went so far as to create an alter ego called Curtis McKenzie. So tell us about that dark time when nobody knew and you were struggling and living these two lives. Yeah, you know, Pastor Joe, I... Uh... I remember, especially that first moment, I remember thinking, I can beat this, you know. I, I'm not that guy. Uh, you know, I was so sincere about overcoming this sin. And, and uh, sin has this way, when we keep going back to it, of becoming more and more attached to our soul. Um, you know, if you go through the scripture, it talks about, you know, the, the choice of sin. And then there's this, habitual sin or, you know, the, the scripture calls it a besetting sin. You know, you keep falling back. And then it moves from, you know, a choice besetting to a stronghold. Paul calls it like a stronghold on your life. And then finally, Jesus talks about he's come to set the captives free so you can literally be captive to sin where you can't get out except through Christ and, and his church. But that's eventually where I found myself... Uh, I just found out that when, when you don't get help with your lust or with your brokenness uh, where you need help, uh, it, it eventually just uh, begins to tear your life apart. And so I, I you know, it didn't stop with porn. You know, it, it, uh, it's like, I remember, uh, like I wanna, you know, the, the lust wanted something real. And so it went from porn to like, chat lines, you know, where I would talk live with, with, with somebody. Uh, and then it was, you know, uh, like a, a strip club or, and then eventually, you know, uh, reaching out online 
for some kind of, you know, sexual liaison with, with somebody I didn't know. I never wanted to uh, leave my wife or I never wanted a, a romantic affair where I got to know somebody. It was just all conquest. And, uh, and so I, I eventually, you know, after 10, 15, and then 20 years of this, I found myself in dark places that I never believed, never thought I'd ever, ever be. And at that point, not only do I have this lust that is dominating my life, uh, now I'm fighting depression, suicidal thoughts, because I'm, I'm like I, you said, I'm living two worlds. You know, I'm like a Jekyll and a Hyde. I've got Blaine Bartell, you know, minister, pastor, writer, you know, traveling speaker, and then I've got this other world that is the world only I know about. No one else knew about this world for, for all these years. And so because I was living in this other world and encountering people in that world, I didn't want them to know who I was, so I created an alternate uh, reality. My, my name was Curtis McKenzie, and I had ID, and I had a separate phone, and I had uh, online presence by that name so that if someone checked me out, uh, they'd never know. And it was just lie after lie after lie. And that's why, you know, we call the, the documentary and the book Death by a Thousand Lies because it wasn't the sin that killed me. Jesus died for my sin. Jesus forgave my sin. Jesus has healing for my sin. But there's very little, if nothing, Jesus can do if we keep lying. If we keep deceiving ourselves and deceiving others and we won't confront the truth of our reality, his hands are tied. And it wasn't until finally uh, that my reality was confronted and uh, life got very, very real for me uh, Easter 2010. Yeah, so it, it unravels. We have a little clip. I want to let you see what happened and how it unraveled. And uh, in one sense, it was awful, but in another sense, it was the mercy of God. Let's take a look at this clip. I met this one woman. I knew, like, she was smart, and I kind of knew that she's kind of figuring me out, but I thought she hasn't figured me out yet. So one more time. So we went, had a, like a drink or whatever, and go back to her place, walk in the door, sit down. Uh, she says, you know, I'm gonna go change or whatever, I'm gonna, I'll be right back. And so I'm just sitting in the living room watching TV. She finally comes out and she just looks at me. She says, I know who you are. I got your ID from the waitress found your real name, got on the internet, get back in my bedroom, and I can't believe it, she was so angry. And she looks at me and she says, you're gonna go tell everybody in your world, your family, your wife, your kids, your church, or I'm going to the media and I will blow this thing up. Everything just flashed before my eyes. I knew it was over. So Blaine, it's uncovered. 
and all of a sudden you're going to have to deal with your wife, your kids, your ministry. So tell us what that was like. It was terrifying. I call it uh, the terrifying grace of God. You know, the, the interesting thing, Pastor Joe, is there were several opportunities through the years that I can recall right now where I had chances to privately repent. Opportunities God just set up like a silver platter. Here's your chance. You know, this is, this is your opportunity and to deal with it privately. But after a number of years, I felt like God in his mercy exposed it. And uh, so I knew the gig was up and I knew nothing but full confession and repentance would be required. And so I met with uh, my best friend who was also my board member in our growing church in, in North Dallas. Uh, told him everything, confessed to it all. It blew his mind. He had no idea. Uh, we cried. We wept together for hours. I stayed with him and his wife that night. And then the next morning, he took me home. And I was supposed to be out of town. Uh, and it was April 1st, 2010. And we showed up at uh, my house. And my wife came to the door and saw me and my friend Ron. And she thought it was an April Fool's joke. Like, what are you doing here? She started laughing. And then she saw the look on my face and Ron's face. And she knew something was wrong. And so I just walked in and I took her, you know, to the back bedroom and I confessed, you know, my, my, my secret life. And uh, it just broke her. She just began to weep uncontrollably. She fell to the floor. And after a few minutes, she, you know, anger took over and she just screamed and started throwing things and then ran out and left, and fortunately, Ron uh, was there to just console her. I never knew how, how much my sin could hurt somebody until that moment. And then my three sons, who were all in their 20s, came over. They had to know. Um, I, had, uh, I was quitting my church, resigning my church, and... They knew they would eventually find out, so I sat them down and I told my sons. And my my youngest son just walked over, and I could just see the disappointment in his eyes. He so looked up to his father, and he just looked at me and said, "Dad, get better." He was so so angry. I don't know how this could possibly happen, but my middle son just got up from his chair, ran over to me, got on his knees, and just hugged me and began to weep uncontrollably and said, Dad, I love you, I love you, I'll never let you go. And then my third son, my oldest, Jeremy, just stood up and he looked at me. And I will never forget this and I needed to hear those words exactly as they came out. But he just looked at me with this rage and, he, and I won't repeat the words, but I'll put it like this. He just looked at me with rage and he said, F, 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 you. And he ran out of the house. I was so, so broken. And I just thought to myself, what have I done? Why did I keep living this life? Why have I so destroyed the people I love the most? And within a year, it was all gone. I mean, 
my, my career, my ministry, my reputation. Dallas Morning News put it on the front page. Charisma Magazine, all the Christian magazines. I mean, it was done. And a year later, my marriage was over. My wife was so wonderful. She tried so hard, but the pain so broke her, she just couldn't go on. And uh, I lost relationship with my children and uh, went through suicidal attempts. Uh, finally, uh, by Sunday, which was Easter, uh, after a, an attempt to take my life, they put me on an airplane to Phoenix, Arizona, and I found myself in, in rehab. Yeah, so you're in this famous rehab place, renowned doctors, and I think it's riveting, you know, what you say in the documentary, how this renowned doctor looks at you and says, there's no hope. And I'm thinking of our series, There's Still Hope, and I'm thinking of you um, hearing there's no hope from this specialist and how that had to make you feel hopeless, but yet then God brought you back to a place of hope and freedom. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, it was, it was crazy because I, I show up at this rehab, they pick me up at the airport, and the founder of the, the, uh, the program, Dr. Ralph Earl, brings me into his office and said, I've never heard a story like yours, but I want to hear directly from you. And uh, so I tell him my story, and uh, I have just wrote a check to him and his, his rehab for $30,000. And he looks at me when I get done, and he said, Blaine, you are the poster child right now for sexual addiction in this country. I've never heard a story like yours. And he said, I doubt you will ever get free. And I'm like, well, that's why I'm here. And he said, oh, we can help you, but you have no idea the kind of work and effort it is gonna take to change and transform your mind, your life, the way you live. You are so broken and so bound up. And I had no idea what he meant by that, but I went through 30 days of his rehab, 12 hours a day. We did every kind of therapy, group therapy, counselors every day. Equine therapy, Everyone, anyone ever heard of that? I mean, I'm literally out petting horses thinking this is gonna stop my lust somehow, you know? And uh, so I get done rehab, and Pastor Joe, I get on an airplane back to Dallas, and I look down the aisle, and there's this beautiful woman in the aisle, and lust begins to come back up in my soul. And I'm like, this has been a big failure. I have not changed one bit. And so I get back, but I work at it. I go to, you know, I go to my counselor every week. I go to four men's 12-step groups a week, and I'm trying everything I can to change. And I'm making some progress simply by an exercise of my will and huge boundaries and barriers that I began to put up in my world. But there really wasn't freedom until one day, I'm invited to visit a friend in Kansas City. And as I'm driving back, I'm just quiet. I'm not praying. I'm just kind of driving. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice that I hadn't heard in years. And I recognized it as the voice of the Spirit. And this is all I heard. Blaine, I'm not going to give you a recovery. Now, I'd heard that word a thousand times in the last year. 
went to recovery groups, went to a recovery program, went to a recovery center. You got to get into your recovery. How's your recovery going? And he said, I'm not going to give you a recovery. He said, I'm calling you into resurrection. And basically what he said was, there's nothing to recover. There's nothing to go back to. He said, I am imagining a new life for you. And if you'll dare to do what it takes to receive resurrection in your life, your life will be unimaginably beautiful. And of course I said, yes, I didn't know what that looked like. But I got back at the end of that trip. I opened up my heart. I opened up my Bible and I got a notepad and the Lord began to give me one step at a time what it meant to live a resurrected Jesus life. And I so encountered Jesus on such a deep and profound level that it changed me. Not instantly, but over the next year, God began to work in my life until finally, one day, I remember being invited to, to not speak because I got out of the ministry for three years, but to just visit a friend who was a Christian friend. And I landed uh, in Los Angeles where I'd been a hundred times and done a hundred crazy things in LA. And I remember getting in the car, driving to see my friend in Palm Springs. As I'm driving, I drive by places that I had been and visited. And I remember for the first time feeling no weight, no desire to ever return to that world. And I knew I was free. And today it's, I'm in my uh, ninth full year of complete freedom without any relapse, any slip up, or really any weight of that in my life. Jesus gave me a resurrected life, and it is such a joy to live with hope again because I was a hopeless man. Yeah, so can we give it up, guys? That's really amazing. Well, I hope, I hope your applause is for Jesus in me because it had nothing to do with me. No, it has It was Jesus and his beautiful body, his beautiful community of, of people that invested in me that brought that resurrection. So we have people listening in Borman TCI online here in Warren. They have family members that they've lost hope for that are addicts. Um, there are addicts here that have lost hope um, or feel like they're just ready to give up. Some might have given up. Um, and I would just like you to address them. You know, when I think about hopelessness, I would define being hopeless as lostness. Where do I go? Well, you know, who am I? Where, where do I get answers? Like you're lost without a compass. And uh, there was only one uh, thematic parable that Jesus taught three times. That it was so, so critical that he, he volleyed through this parable on three different stories. And it was uh, the parable of lostness. And he talked about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And it's interesting because they're all different. The lost sheep has been lost, and it, it knows it's lost. I mean, he knows he's not in the fold, or sheep. 
but it does not know how to get home, has no idea how to get back. So the shepherd, in his love for the sheep, leaves the 99 and finds that sheep and brings, brings his sheep home. And then there's the lost coin. The coin doesn't know it's lost. It's a coin. It's lost, but it has no idea it's lost. And the master looks everywhere till finally finding that coin. And then the coin, like, oh, okay. And, and there's, there's people that are in lostness like that, like, I don't even know if I need God. I don't know what's going on in my life. And, and somehow God just shows up, you know, without even your permission. And you get a revelation of his love. And then there's that, that third lostness, the lost son. And that's, that's me. That's where I was. So you're in father's house, but then there's this lure into another world. And you take all the gifts and all the blessings and all the inheritance that you've uh, received and you find yourself straying and trespassing into another world. And it might be a world of sexual sin. It might be a world that is another force of sin in your life. It could be any, any world. It could be just a private world of depression or despair. But at some point, we, we come to this lost crisis and we're like, oh, I've lost it all. Uh, everything I started with has faded away or slowly is fading away. And we kind of come to our senses and we know enough where the Father is to get home. And the beautiful thing about that is, is even on our way home, as we get within distance of Father's house, he's there just waiting, that he's never going to drag us home if we know our way. But he will be waiting. And he, he runs to the son and grabs the son and hugs him. And I love this story because it's, it's this recklessly radical love. Because, you know, if, if we're fathers and our son has taken all our inheritance and he comes home, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, well, where, do, where have you been? You know, and where did you spend it? And how much do you have left? Okay, and you want to come back? Well, let me give you the rules. But this father is unlike any father. He says, son, welcome home. No questions, no demands, no explanations, just love. And a robe, and sandals, and a ring, and a party, and a fatted calf killed, and the community invited saying, I have no shame in you anymore. That's the love of God. And that kind of love can only come from God. And that love transforms souls. And if you've ever felt hopeless... And if you've ever felt lost on any level, I just want you to know the Father's not angry at you. He's not ticked off at you. Because it's never been about morality. Christianity isn't a morality play. It's all about, in fact, I, I put it like this. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make hopeless people resurrected. So this is the message of the gospel, is that God is good, and when we're lost and hopeless, all we have to do is have a heart that's willing to be found. And that's all I did. I just ran back to the Father and said, I'm found again. Like, do something with me. Live inside of me again. Show me how to live this life. 
and he did, and he will. So we have some coins listening. They, they don't even know they're lost, right? Uh, we have a lot of sons and daughters listening that yeah. they're frustrated. They are lost. They don't know how to come back. Any kind of addiction, any kind of hurt. Um, I thought it was amazing what you talked about in that resurrection story and how it took time. It was a process. But you know, it all begins, too, with um, finding someone you can trust. Like when you push that red button, that pastor of that church would have helped you if you went to him. Said, man, I, I need your help. But, but you didn't do that, and it went into decades. There are people listening that I want to encourage you. Uh, I'm not saying you confess your sin to the church and every, to everybody you know, but if you don't have someone in your life, um, if you call the church, we'll hook you up with a mentor that uh, can help you walk through this type of situation. I send pastors from all over the country to Blaine for him to help them out. And, um, and he's helping people everywhere uh, walk through that resurrection process. Um, but Blaine, there are people right now that need prayer. And could, could you minister that and, and minister prayer to sure. them? Sure. You know, when I talk about resurrection, one of the things I talk about is Lazarus, that when Jesus called forth Lazarus from his deadness and from his tomb, he came out fully clothed in his resurrection or his uh, death garb. And then Jesus purposely does something here. Like if I was Jesus, I would have raised Lazarus from the dead and he would have come out in a three-piece suit ready to preach, right? But no. He comes out in his death garb, and he says to the family and friends, you know, take off these death rags. And so there's, there's a truth here where coming to Jesus and finding hope again is not just a prayer to God, but it's also a prayer of, Lord, I, I, I want to reach out because I can't do this alone. Someone's going to help to see the things that need to come off of my life so that I can truly walk again and, and be in liberty again and be in freedom. And so a prayer right now is not only a prayer to Jesus, but it's being willing to say, as Pastor Joe said, that, you know, I might need to confess my secrets and my struggles to somebody else that I can trust, somebody that will walk with me as an advocate, not as a judger, not as I, I, an I told you so person, but somebody that will come alongside you to love you fully into life. So if there's any kind of hopelessness in your life, anything that you've been fighting, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's the loss of a child, maybe it's a sin that is different from mine, we all sin differently, and you just say, you know what, I, I really want to live in that freedom that you've talked about. I really want to allow God to give me an imagination of what life can truly be in Jesus. Let's pray a prayer together. And let's ask God for, for his help. Because he's there. The Father's just smiling and waiting for us to respond. So would you bow your head? Those of you that are watching in Boardman online, would you, would you pray, pray with us at this moment? And as we're just kind of in a place of pause before the Lord, maybe we could just take one more step and just say, you know, that is me. I, I, I need hope. I, I want to be a part of this prayer. I want to either ask Jesus to intercept my life right now or
to be more present than he ever has been before, would you just raise your hand? Just put it up, put it down. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to call you out, make you do anything. I just want to recognize you and I together in this moment. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, pray for me. Thanks. Wait the back. God bless you. Yeah, the front side. Thanks. You can put it down. Anyone else? Maybe you're online watching Boardman. Just, uh, just by an act of faith, just put your hand up and then put it down. Just so uh, God knows that you're in. All right? Beautiful. So let's all pray this prayer together. And uh, our prayer can be so simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, the scripture says, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all he asks is call. So pray this. Say, say it with me. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your son. That Jesus shed his blood. Jesus shed his blood. Gave his life. Gave his so that I could be free. So that I could be free. Free to serve him. Free to live a new life. I call on the name of the Lord. Forgive my sins. Set me free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, that's the beginning. And know this, that your sins are forgiven. Let the shame leave. Let all of the past be gone. Put your head up. Look to heaven with a smile because all of heaven is smiling with you right now. They're cheering you on. And now begin to walk with Jesus. And we can't walk with Jesus without walking with his church. And so realize we're all here to walk together and not do it alone. You've got a, 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 you've got a family here that surrounds you and loves you and uh, is here to say, we're going to help you make it across the finish line by the power of Jesus and with good community. I wouldn't be here today without men like Pastor Joe, who uh, in, in following after my crisis, never gave up on me and just kept saying, Blaine, come on, let's pick up again. Let's keep walking. Let's walk wiser. Let's, 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 uh, let's walk in a, in a different way, but come on, let's, let's walk again. And we can do it because we're image bearers. We're made in the very image of God. We're meant to be like him. And when we reach out to him and we reach out to his good community, we become more and more like him every day. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.